the number one Costa Rica real estate and investment podcast, bringing you experts from all over Costa Rica. Good afternoon, guys, and welcome to episode 153 of Costa Rica Real Estate and Investments with me, your host, Richard Beckson. Today, we're going to be talking with Christina Garini. Uh, we've had her on the podcast quite a few times. She's kind of my go-to on all things when it comes to uh, residency and the digital nomad visa here in Costa Rica. Uh, but I wanted to get her on for two reasons. Number one, uh, she's actually started her own legal and residency practice called Blue Zone, Real, uh, Blue Zone Legal. Uh, so, you know, I just want to give her a bit of a plug on that. And Number two, just wanted to go over some FAQs for um, basically investors and the digital nomad visa and get a, a bit of an update of where we are, uh, if there has been an update, of course. Um, I'm being contacted by quite a few of you. Uh, actually, when you guys have made an offer on a property and are under contract and start reviewing stuff and kind of wish that you'd have contacted me beforehand. So I'm going to say it now, guys, if you're looking to do anything in Costa Rica, please talk to us beforehand. Info at investingcostarica.com. It will not cost you anything. Uh, just reach out to us, info at investingcostarica.com, because some of the stuff that you're bringing up or you know, sometimes you go under contract on a property that's not right for what it was that you were looking for. Um, and, you know, trying to back out of something sometimes can be a little bit of a uh, bit of a pickle, uh, especially I've had quite a few people on the hotel front. So uh, please contact me beforehand, um, because I think that I can probably add a lot of value to your search or at least give you some guidance of, of what to look at and what not to as well. So remember, info at investingcostarica.com. But let's get straight into the podcast. Good afternoon, Christina. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? Very, very good. Well, congratulations, first of all, as you've, uh, again, started your own practice uh, of Blue Zone Legal. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Awesome. Awesome. Now, uh, and again, you live in a Blue Zone, right? Yes, I live in a Blue Zone and I was born in another one. So the name has a lot of meanings to me. So you were born in where? Sardinia. I was okay. born in Sardinia, which was the first recognized Blue Zone in Italy. It's a, an island in Italy. And then after studying Sardinia, the study was, you know, expanded and four more Blue Zones were detected, one of which the biggest one is Nicoya, where I relocated wow. nine years ago. Wow. Well, I expect uh, I expect you to at least make 100 years old. I'm not too sure whether I'll make it, but hopefully we'll be there together. Hopefully. So. Fingers crossed. Exactly. My grandfather's 96 and uh, he's still doing pretty good. So uh, I've got some pretty good genes, I hope. Excellent. So, well, well, let's get straight into the into the podcast. I mean, you know, kind of where econ I think everyone's aware of where economies are at today. Um, you know, but I mean, on your end, what are you seeing when it comes for people applying for residency, digital nomad visas? Is it up over quarter one? Have you seen a bit of a slowdown? How does it compare to 2022? Just to give kind of the listeners an idea of kind of what's happening on, on from your side of the business. Sure, thank you so much. So let me start with the digital nomad visa, which is probably the easiest category to obtain now, of course, as long as you meet the requirements and you do it properly, right, with the right law firm supporting you. And the digital nomad visa opened a whole new window for foreigners who were just, you know, living and working here literally as digital nomads. And in our experience, we have been able to obtain approval of all the requests that we submitted. The news lately is that, uh, weirdly, I will say, and surprisingly, the 
submitting the case file in person versus on the digital platform is faster. Wow. So probably since they have so many requests online, actually yeah. the online platform is lower than, you know, the standard way of going personally to immigration authorities to submit the documents, which we do for our clients, you know. I had a case of a client who was waiting a few months to get a response on the digital nomad visa application online. And we decided to just restart in person and we got a response within a little more than one month. Wow, that's that's great. But I mean, with the volume of people applying, so just the volume from what you're seeing of, like if I was to compare January, February, March this year of people inquiring with you for digital nomad visas and your applications compared to the last three months, is it up? Is it down? Is it pretty steady? Mm, it's up. Digital okay. nomad visas interest is growing. Yep. Whereas other categories are slowing down, especially the temporary residencies are slowing down. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, give me an idea of which are the residency things that you're seeing that are slowing down. Okay. The first category of slowing down is the investor category. Yep. And as you know, we did a podcast on the new rules regarding investor residency, which include the fact that now immigration requires the investment to be in the name of the person as an individual. And the investment can no longer be under a corporation unless you make the investment, you know, you increase the equity of the corporation up to the required threshold of $150,000. And then with those funds, you buy the property. So it's a whole different paperwork. Yeah. It's not as in the past. But, you know, for those foreigners who already have the property in the name of the corporation, they are in a position where... They either buy again the property from their own corporation or they will not qualify, which is really inconvenient yeah. and, you know, unpleasant, I will say. So that's low down. And even for people that are now buying properties, the pros of still having a property in the name of a corporation sometimes are more than the cons of not being able to apply for the residency. So what people are doing are either, you know, pausing for the second for a second the residency process or looking into other categories such as yeah. the rentista or the retiree. Okay. In my experience, if a client meets the requirements of a residency under the pensionado retiree category, that's the way to go. You know, fast response time, I will say you can get an approval within eight months probably, whereas even investor residency application take more than one year, if not one year and a half. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to go down the investor route, it sounds like basically, because, you know, most people are like, okay, I want to buy a property, but you have to open a corporation, get a bank account open, invest that money into the bank account, you know, yeah. have an aporte capital, like basically like a shareholder is now inputting capital in for the amount of the property and then the corporation to buy the property. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. I mean, opening a bank account for a corporation here as a non-resident is a nightmare. It's a nightmare. And honestly, I'm not a tax expert and I have no idea of what an impact it may have to have such a bit equity in the corporation. As of today, you are aware that you can have the equity of your corporation for $20, even yeah. if you, the corporation owns a property of $1 million. Yeah, yeah. So there is no minimum, but with these new rules, so what will happen? You know, it's it's complicated, and honestly, 
it is in contrast with the country trying to motivate foreigners come here and invest you know all these new rules to be able to import the vehicles you know yep. and other benefits that have been implemented for temporary residents that come from abroad are in conflict with these restrictions so on yeah. one end they say yeah we want you to come here and invest except that we're going to make it 100 times more difficult now so that's costa rica in general though right they make everything difficult but i like to say it keeps out kind of the people that don't really want to come here like if it was too easy everyone would be coming here so it's like the roads it keeps the tourists away sometimes you know when they're all that oh way. yeah trust me i know that i live in nosara remember where no, no paved roads is the rule free costa rican massages every time you go for a drive yeah do 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 exactly. do 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 exactly <laughs> but, i mean very funny for my kids not so much for me but true yeah. true I mean, what are the most common questions that you get about residency in costa rica uh, I will say at the moment, the, the most common is how much will I pay for the caja, the social security, which is a whole different topic, you know. So explain, let's explain that. Open up that can of worms here for, I mean, if you have residency in Costa Rica, you need to pay caja, which is... Exactly. Like, so okay. when when you get your residency approved, you have, you're granted 90 days to get enrolled in the caja system, which is a social security and complete other requirements, which means that once you have your residency approved, you need to start paying the caja on a monthly basis. If you have a family, your uh, contribution will include your family members with no additional fee being required. Yep. How much you will pay will depend on the income, which will also depend on the category. So let me give you some examples that will make things easier. Let's say we have a pensionado, okay? The minimum threshold to be able to apply for a temporary residency as pensionado is $1,000. If you have a pension of $1,000, you will end up paying with the exchange rate of today approximately $120 on a monthly basis. So that I consider that affordable, okay? I mean, it's twelve percent. I mean, if your if your pension in really is a hun is a thousand dollars a month, I mean, twelve percent social security. That's a lot. That's a lot if you consider that as a percentage. Sure, oh. especially when you know when you're a foreigner and you still have to pay for your U.S. social security, for example. Yeah. yeah. What happens, and you know, in the practice, there are some foreigners that are able to get the social security employee to still record a minimum of one thousand dollar as you know pension and just pay 120 when in the reality their pension is a lot higher which is yeah. good yeah, yeah that said uh in my experience there there's no one that pays no foreigner that pays less than that unless you're applying like because you're married to a Costa Rican and stuff like that. The minimum requirement in general for social security in Costa Rica, I think is around $70, yep. which, you know, if you have a pension of just $1,000, is a lot of money. But let's switch to the category of the rentista. Rentista are those who can prove an income of $2,500 per month that they will be receiving that, and based on that, they can receive a temporary residency here. So they are currently being charged approximately $400 a month of on social security. 2500 Yes. Wow. So that's a lot of money. So 
on one side, the rentista category is very easy to be complied with. You know, there are, there are, the banks are familiar with the program. You can just deposit 60K or do, you know, what the bank needs you to do. They will issue the letter, which is, which must have the wording, the precise wording required by immigration authorities, and you will get that. And we got a rentista residency approved within four months. Wow. And when I got that, I'm like, what? Already? It's so weird. Wow. But then you end up paying four hundred dollars on social security. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I I'd look at it like this. Okay, it's it's a lot. I mean, we were talking here that like it's twelve percent. This is kind of like what seventeen ish percent here is the mm -hmm. the cost for it. But look, there's a cost to living in paradise and living in Costa Rica. Like you need to, exactly. you know, you're probably not paying huge amounts of income tax here. Um, you know, you're not really paying much municipal taxes. Uh, you know, property tax is 0.25%, so it's low. But, you know, this social security system, what we have here is like, if you fall and break your leg or have a car accident, they will come and collect you. You go to the hospital, you have operations done, you get all your medicine, you walk out. There is no charge. Like, it's free. Exactly. Like, yeah. Okay, maybe if you've got something that like uh, some ailment, you need to see a doctor, you might need to wait a couple of weeks or you have to go and take a line in Evias or you need an operation, it might take a couple of months. But like, unfortunately, like there's going to be pros and cons. The next podcast that I do actually talks about private healthcare. So you can okay. listen to that one, anyone that wants private health. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I pay a ridiculous amount in social security, you know, yeah. for myself and my employees. Every, I mean, you know, you know, I mean, it's pretty yeah. ridiculous. Um, but again, there is a cost to living here and I'm happy to pay it. Exactly. I agree. And especially for families, me as a mother, I think the Caja is great. When Every time my kids get sick, if just flu, you yep. don't spend $120 on a, on a visit for the pediatrician for each of your kids. You just go mm -hmm. to the Caja. And for example, the one I have in Santana, where my home is in San Jose, you enter there and it looks like a private clinic, super clean. The attention is outstanding and you go out with no charge and with all the meds that you need for 10 days for free. Yep. So I think, you know, if you have a family at the end of the day, if it's if, if those 400 cover the entire family, it's not that much. Yeah, I mean, you know? I mean again, the private health care is going to cost about $5,000 a year Yeah. for family. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah. Anyway, but I mean, and if you've got kids here, the attention that kids get is insane. I mean, Hospital de Niños here in the city is like one of the best in, I mean, probably Latin America. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I, I and I have to say that they're very good. I had to bring my son there even for very specific tests and good. it was great. I yeah. even had, you know, I remember a surgeon looking at my baby's heart when he was still in the belly. Wow. So pretty complicated situation and they handled very well. So how, yeah. how much did that cost you? Zero. Exactly. So anyway. Well, no, better said 500 colonnas of parking space. Well, that's actually sometimes you, that's the, that's the funny thing. You pay more in parking than you do sometimes, but um, <laughs> yeah. What is the most difficult thing for foreigners to understand? Maybe it's the Caja thing, but like, what is the most thing that they're like, wow, I like, that's just really difficult or like, I don't understand that. Resolution time. And okay. the immigration process in general, you know, is for them to understand how the process works is very complicated, especially because there's a lot of misinformation yep. uh, out there on the website. You can Google Immigration Costa Rica and you will find anything. And I find myself many times in a position where the 
the client comes to me and say, yeah, but you know, the cousin of the taxi driver I was on, he said that he got the responsible. And like, you know what? I, I, I do not comment on other people's opinion. I just tell you what I can, what I've seen based in my experience. This was my oh. experience. You That's mean the only thing I believe in. Your experience as a expert, you know, uh, yeah. As an expert, that's what I like. Thank you for reminding, you know. So the reason, the whole reason why I created Blue Zone Legal and I have this law firm is to assist other fellow experts. I was an expert myself. Yep. I've been in the residency system. When I came here, my husband, he's Italian, but we met here. He was in the process and he got scammed two times before being able to get the residency. Had he listened to me the first time, I told him it was a scam. Maybe he will have saved some years of waiting, but you know, no, guy, no guy listens to his wife. No, but yeah, so yeah, anyway, I, I try to make the process simple. You know, I have district attorneys and authority public working for me, and the key to me is talking to the client and explaining them. And my goal is to not give false expectation, I will never promise you. Not even a result, because I cannot make any promise. Immigration no. is out of control. Their time are out of control. I will just tell you what I always tell my clients. I will do my best. I will gonna, I'm going to be there until the very end of the process. Yeah. Are there going to be hiccups? Maybe I will help you, you know, overcome any issue that will yeah. be here. Well, that's, yeah, that's complicated to understand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's just jump to the digital nomad, uh, back to the digital nomad again. What are some of the common questions that you get on that on that front? Uh, how long will the process take? And how long so, do you normally say? A couple of months. So even though the law states that they should reply within eight days if they have question or 14 days, if they are okay, that's, that's just an ordinary term that's not complied with, with immigration authorities. So the fastest resolutions that we got was within three weeks, but other took a few months so we always gave the biggest um scenario to the client the slowest scenario to the client so that we don't provide with false expectation you know what are the questions you have on you get on the digital nomad front oh uh, if they need criminal background checks and the response is no so that's a great thing so the paperwork is very straightforward another response another question that i got asked many times is how much will the translation of my bank statement cost? And the response is, it will depend on how many pages of bank statement you will provide us with for the for your case bill. And but typically, how much does a translation cost? Because it's usually by letter or something like that, isn't it? Uh, yeah. So we, yeah, I will say between four hundred dollars up until seven hundred dollars. So usually the translation can be even, you know, more expensive than our legal fees. Wow, wow. I mean, how much does it cost to apply for the digital nomad uh, visa? Okay, so I think legal fees and expenses on our end are below the one thousand uh, dollar cap. So we try to keep it you know, as cheap as possible. Yep. And what makes it more expensive are again translation fees, and we also provide, we also submit for every client a CPA, so a certification of the income prepared by an accountant, and we have a convention with an accountant who charges like hundred and eighty dollars. 
it's yeah. not too bad. I mean, basically, it's about two thousand dollars, give or take, just under two thousand dollars for a digital nomad application. Under two thousand yeah. dollars, yeah. Okay. Translations cool. included, yeah. And the other thing is that you don't have to pay the kaha, so you just have to show proof of a of an insurance policy covering yep. you for the entire length of the of the visa. So and how long does the visa last? After the one of COVID. How long is how the, long? Sorry. Yep. How long does the visa last for? One year. Okay. And you can renew it for one additional year upon demonstrating that you have been living here for at least six months. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. How much does it cost to apply for residency? Oh, yeah, that's more expensive. And it also depends on the category. So in the past, we had the same fee for all categories, but now we increase the fees for the investor residency, considering the amount of paperwork required. And we, it's more than $2,000 per person. It also depends on other factors such as, again, you know, here translation fees are usually $350 per person okay. because you only need to translate like the birth certificate, the marriage certificates, the FBI background check or any other criminal record, which is not in Spanish, of course. Yep. And another, you know, factor that has an impact on the fee, uh, on the total cost is the security deposit that the applicant needs to pay at the end of the process. So once your residence is granted, not only you have to enroll in the CAHA, you also need to pay a security deposit, which is basically a, a guarantee for the government that they have the funds necessary to deport you. So they calculate that based on an average ticket to, you know, send you back to your home country. So if you're a US citizen, we are talking about a little more than $350, $350. If you are an Italian, and I'm Italian, you have to pay $1,761 per person. So imagine a family who has to pay that. It's insane. Yeah. It's I don't very... remember. I don't remember paying that, but this was 18 years ago that I got residency. So uh... yeah, so 18 years ago it was no more than $300, and wow. I was lucky. I was uh, granted a residency before the rules changed yep. it, yep. so I paid $300. Wow, wow! Which I gave me and my family a lot of money. Well, you just got me my citizenship anyway, so uh, I go pick up my uh, my settler on uh, Friday after 18 years of residency. I'm now a Costa Rican uh, citizen, so uh, I got to get my passport and. Uh, I get to vote in my next the next election. So, uh, yes, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, can someone apply for residency or digital nomad themselves? And you know, what should they be aware of? Because I remember some people years back being like, "Yeah, I applied for my residency," and then like on my own and like just never heard anything. <laughs> Everyone can apply for the residency by themselves. A lawyer is now required for the process. If you hire a lawyer, it's because it is supposed to make your life easier. So yeah. it, even for us, the process is complicated and we do this on a daily basis. You may be lucky. You may start a process, you submit a requirement. And if you have time, you can, you know, continue and fair yeah. patient. Then you may be able to manage and handle everything by yourself. But it may be very complicated. So the idea of hiring a law firm is to have the law firm taking care of the process. And even before at Blue Zone Legal, we also take care of the paperwork. So we are now in a place where we can get our clients fingerprinted in our office for the Canadian RCMP or the FBI background check. 
and we can process all the documents. We can procure documents in the U.S., in Canada, and in certain countries of Europe. So we can be, you know, a one-stop shop for residency process. That's pretty cool. So you don't need to go, because I remember having to go back to my home country to get all the documentation to come back here. You can just do it from here now. Yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Christina, this has been great. It's always great to get you on the podcast and kind of kind of get an idea of what's, uh, you know, kind of going on. Um, my last question for you, though, if you inherited $500,000 and had to invest it into a business or real estate in Costa Rica, what would you do with it and why? Okay, if I inherited that, I will invest them in the piece of land that me and my husband recently bought here in the Nozara area to build a family home. You know, we built a tiny apartment, but with more funds, I would love a bigger home. Yep. And if not... Let's say business, like it has to be, you have to invest it in, like it has to create a business or it has to be in real estate. What would you do with it? Oh, it's a business. Or, or real estate, like rentals. It can, like, what would you oh, do? Rentals, totally vacation rentals in a, in the Nozara area, if possible. That's a great place to invest money and get a, a, a good ROI return on investment. That's, you know, the rentals are going down a little, you yep. know, after the boom during COVID, but they're yep. still stable in the Nozara area. So it is still a great investment. Nosara or Santa Teresa is also very an area that, that I will consider. What would you build? Would you build one bedrooms? Would you build a three bedroom, four bedroom home? I mean, what 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 do you what do you think you would do? Uh, two bedrooms. Yeah. There is, you know, what I've seen in the Nosara area are is a lack of two bedrooms. There are so many studio apartments, and now the especially in Nasara, there is a huge request for two bedrooms or more bedrooms apartments. Yeah, yeah. So wow. yeah, that's what I will focus on. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, Christina, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Anyone that wants to get in contact with Christina and Blue Zone Legal, I'll put all the contact details in the description. But appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Pleasure's mine. Thanks. Hey guys, uh, as I think you can see there, it's kind of you get peeling the onion there on residency and digital nomad, and it sounds very interesting. Um, you know, it's, I, I think if you're going to do it, you can do it yourself, but I would suggest just because it will drive you nuts that you will just go, I should have just paid someone to do this in the beginning. Um, you know, so um, my suggestion is whether you use Christina or you use someone else here in Costa Rica, like don't try and do it yourself. Um, but again, you know, it's each to their own. Um, but Christina's contact details are all there. Um, I think you could see that the digital nomad visa appears to be the easiest and quickest method at the moment uh, in order to get the ability to stay into Costa Rica. But there are a lot of perpetual tourists here that stay here and just leave every 90 days and come back in. Um, you know, the residency, they seem to be, you know, stamping down on a little bit. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think that it will potentially change. It may take a while on the investor side. Um, but there are a lot of other options uh, available as well. But remember, guys, if you want to chat with us, you can do info at investingcostarica.com. That's info at investingcostarica.com. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, uh, feel free to pass the pod, as I say, give us five stars, write a review. I love reading the reviews that I get every so often. So it, it, it's great to hear that. We'll just, uh, you know, if there's anything you'd like us to cover, just let us know uh, and we'll try and cover it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. The number one Costa Rica real estate and investment podcast, bringing you experts from all over Costa Rica 